The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Paul Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman, is challenging the actions of special counsel Robert Mueller again. This time he's accusing the FBI of illegally searching a storage unit that held his business and tax records. He's asking a judge to throw out all evidence from that search. Joining me is Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Brad, it seems like this challenge has two parts. First, the initial access to the storage locker and second, the search warrant. Describe the challenge briefly. Sure. So basically, this is a standard maneuver by uh, many criminal defendants. Uh, what Manafort's lawyers are arguing is that when the FBI initially went into the storage locker, they didn't do so with a warrant. They merely had consent from someone who wasn't authorized to give it. That's at least their argument that this was a low-level employee, wasn't authorized to give the consent, and that the therefore the fruits of the search, the ultimate documents that Manafort, sorry, that Mueller's team got when they went back and got a search warrant after the fact, has been tainted and must be excluded. They're also saying that the FBI basically misrepresented or omitted some facts in asking for that second the subpoena to actually go in. Correct. Yeah, they're they're arguing that they went they went in and got far more records without distinguishing the time frame of what was necessary and what was relevant to the scope of their search, and that they basically took everything. I mean, that Manafort had I think decades, I think three decades worth of records in this storage unit was a large storage unit having all kinds of business and attorney uh, uh, client privilege documentation, and that Mueller's team just took everything and therefore violated his Fourth Amendment rights to uh, reasonable expectation of privacy. So this isn't TV. How often does a judge throw out all the evidence from a search warrant because of some of the, uh, the allegations that were made here? I think it's a very slim read and a very unlikely that Manafort succeeds uh, in its entirety. There might be some areas on the periphery in which he gets some of this pushed back. But by and large, when the FBI went in, the employee who gave the consent for them to simply look into the storage unit, they didn't actually open anything. They simply took a look inside the unit. That employee was the one on the lease. And that was therefore reasonable for the FBI to believe that person had the authority to authorize to look in, even without that. And I still think that argument will hold up. But even if that's not enough, there is the exception to the rule called inevitable discovery. The FBI already knew that the storage locker was there. The employee, before they ever looked into it, told them what was in there. They could have very well gone back at that point and got a search warrant anyways. So the idea that this is all going to get thrown out is extremely unlikely. This is a Hail Mary pass that Manafort's team has to try to try to weaken Mueller's case, but that's about all it is. Look at the timing, Brad. The special counsel's team revealed Thursday night that they were using information related to the searches for an ongoing investigation, and Manafort's attorneys filed this motion Friday night. 
Correct. And that, that, that Thursday night filing raises some questions of what is the additional aspect that uh, filing by Mueller's team noted that it was for uh, regarding an investigation unrelated to the charges that have already been leveled against Mr. Manafort, which, of course, everyone is assuming, but we don't actually know one way or the other, has to do with the original purpose of Mueller's investigation, the question of criminal collusion during the course of the election. Is that what this newest search warrant on March 9th was about? I think that's what we're all waiting to find out. But that has to be only raising stakes and raising the pressure they're putting on Manafort to cut a deal at some point, plead guilty and cooperate in Mueller's probe. Now, Manafort's lawyers are also asking the judge to order Mueller to reveal the identities of the accomplices who allegedly helped him to lobby on behalf of Ukrainian officials and a detailed list of the allegedly false and misleading statements he made. That does seem like information they need to prepare for trial. But what's your take on it? It's called a bill of particulars. They're arguing that at least at the moment, the bill of indictment is factually insufficient, that additional information is required. I viewed the indictment, especially when it came to the financial charges, to be more than sufficiently detailed for what's legally required. I don't really know where Manafort's team is going with this, other than they're trying to stall and they're trying to weaken and undermine the case wherever they can with whatever pretrial motions they can, all in the hopes that in the end this becomes too politically controversial for the president to permit it to continue and possibly he gets involved with a pardon. Well, so, so Brad, what at this point, it seems like they're doing everything they possibly can to avoid having him flip. But does it seem to you as if Mueller is just not going to let this go? Yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't see any way in which Mueller lets this go. I mean, when it when it comes down to it, if this gets to trial on the tax and financial issues, Mueller has Manafort dead to rights. And it's the same reason that Gates, the Richard Gates flipped is because he had them both dead to rights. They're absolutely going to be found guilty on those parts. The question for Manafort at this point is how much of this case he can undermine on technicalities, how much he can weaken Mueller's case to improve his own and him being Manafort, his own leverage and negotiating position, if it ultimately becomes the point where he has to negotiate a plea deal. Do you believe that they'll put off the trial date because too much is happening right now? About 15 uh, I don't. I, d- I don't think they necessarily, I don't think the judge is going to really be happy with that idea. It depends <laughs> on where it goes. I think it's unlikely, but you know what? With this investigation, you just never know anymore. You don't, but we keep track of it. Thanks so much, Brad. That's Bradley Moss. He's a partner at Mark Zay. Google collects personal information about kids on YouTube and uses it to target advertising in violation of child privacy protection laws, according to a coalition of child advocacy and consumer groups. The groups filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission today to investigate and potentially fine Google billions of dollars. My guest is Angela Campbell, director of the Institute for Public Representation, Communications and Technology Clinic at Georgetown Law School. Angela, what kind of information is Google accused of collecting and how? Uh, well, one kind of information they're collecting is geolocation. That's the, the location where um, the person using the app is located. They're collecting the telephone number. Um, they're collecting um, uh, what they call pers- persistent identifiers, which are unique numbers. It could be like your IP address or a device ID number that is then used to track the person across 
uh, you know, where they came from, where they're going, how much time they spent watching one video or another video, and, and collecting any all that information and creating profiles uh, so that they can better target advertising. Profiles to, of children. Uh, the same thing with children. I mean, that's the thing. Is on YouTube. If children are on YouTube, they're going to be treated just like everybody else because YouTube says that you're, if you're under 13, you shouldn't be on the site. Um, and so, that, you know, there's, I, I don't see how they could treat them any differently since they claim that you're not, they're not supposed to be there. But, in fact, they put on so much programming on the main YouTube um, platform that it really is intended for children. And children are more likely to watch programming on the YouTube main platform than they are on YouTube Kids. So in, ter- in its terms of service, Google says YouTube, as you mentioned, is only for users age 13 and older. YouTube's ad policies don't allow targeting children under 13. And there is a YouTube Kids app designed for children. Are, are those good defenses to a claim under the um, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act? Uh, no, they're not. Um, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act applies to a website or a portion of a website that is directed at children. And there's just simply no question that portions of you know, many, many of the channels on YouTube are directed at children. Um, the other way uh, that one is liable under COPPA is if they know that they're if they know they're collecting information from children, which clearly the officials at YouTube know because they have well they're told for one thing by the these channels, but also they've gone around and they've talked about how many kids are on YouTube. Um, this is a big growing area for them. They specifically package together uh, about 300 or so channels that they call family and parenting. But if you look at them, they're almost all uh, targeted to young children. And those are all, they sell advertising on that group of channels on YouTube proper, not on YouTube kids. So what does the Children's Online Protection, Online Privacy Protection Act require Google to do or not to do as far as children under 13 are concerned? Uh, well, what they ca- they can't do is they can't collect any information, any personal information from those children unless and until they have uh, gotten given notice to the parents, and that's both having a children's privacy policy, which they do not have, and also giving direct notice to parents, and then getting a, um, affirmative parental consent in a verifiable form uh, prior to the collection of any information. So those... those um notices that they put up and signing the terms and services, which you have to check off, which I'm sure has a lot in there, especially about um, YouTube is only for users age 13 and older. That wouldn't do it for the act? That wouldn't take care of it? Well, you don't need to sign up to, to use the app. Anybody can use the app so, or use the, um, you know, the website. So, uh, I don't know because if they're children, they can't they can't agree to those terms. Right. Um, so, how has the FTC been in the past about enforcing COPA? Well, um, I would like to see greater enforcement. They think that they do a good job. I think I just saw one of the uh, FTC officials quoted saying they had brought like two dozen COPA enforcement cases. But, of course, the law has been in effect since the year 2000, so that's not a lot of cases per year. 
Um, but, um, you know, so that's why I think this is an important case for them to bring, you know, to, because it will send a really strong message. And, you know, I'm sure Google's not the only one that's, that's doing this, um, but they are probably one of the largest, so, if not the largest. Some of the advocacy groups behind this complaint have targeted YouTube in the past. Were they successful? Well, in 2015, um, some of these groups filed a complaint about YouTube kids. And the basis of that complaint was is very different from the basis of this complaint. Um, that was based on uh, what we thought was unfair and deceptive advertising practices towards children. And so, um, they, you know, I think the FTC took it very seriously. I think they looked into it. But as far as actually taking any enforcement action, no, they have not. Um, they still could, I suppose, but they haven't. So... There are there are channels, whole channels on YouTube, Choo Choo TV nursery rhymes and kids songs and, and different channels. Is Google under COPPA uh, supposed to not advertise at all on those channels? They can advertise, but they can only, but they can't target advertising to children based on their characteristics or profiles or interests. Okay, um, this is a, an appropriate time for this to come with so much on so much intense focus on privacy and the Cambridge analytical scandal. Um, Angela, let's just switch for a moment to Facebook. And um, Mark Zuckerberg is appearing for the first time before Congress tomorrow. What do you expect the, the de- senators and representatives to be asking him? <clears throat> well, I, I, I don't really know, of course, but I would hope that they would be asking him about, you know, basic privacy protections for everyone. He's spoken about trying to apply the uh, the GTPR, the, the European uh, privacy rules that are supposed to take effect in May, uh, to allow American citizens to have the same kind of protections. And I think that would be a very positive uh, step forward. Um, but I imagine they're going to ask a lot about elections and how, you know, how did these ads get onto YouTube and, and what can be done about it. Do you see the, um, we only have about a minute here, but do you see the the dangers to children from the Internet growing as more and more children go on to different websites in the coming years? Oh, yeah, I think it's potentially a very dangerous place for children if it's not, you know, designed responsibly. Um, and, uh, you know, they're already subject to so much marketing, but, but a lot of, they're also subject to a lot of really inappropriate content as well, which we saw even with the YouTube kids that we filed years ago, there was inappropriate content. And there has been more inappropriate content in the recent months that um, I think YouTube is trying to address. But be the way that their algorithms work, um, you know, you might be watching something that's perfectly fine, and then but the, it will automatically recommend oh. the next video. And All if right. I have the character doing, we'll have to leave it there, Angela. But thanks for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Angela Campbell of Georgetown Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.